I am Arthur, son of Uther Pendragon and king of the Britons. No man takes Excalibur from me and lives. They were the bad guys, as you say. We were the good guys. And they made a very satisfying thump when they hit the floor. What else did they teach you? Delight? Respect? Compassion? That for your actions to be pure, they must proceed from direction, determination, patience, and strength. I'm afraid I'm still working on patience. They taught me how to live, how to breathe, how to fight, and how to die. And they taught me terror. How to use it, and how to face it. I think I'd like to hear more about that. No, you wouldn't. And what are you so nervous about? We went up against the entire Earth Alliance in two carrier groups. Yeah, but this is the post office. This could get us in real trouble. And they made a very agreeable thump. Or did I mention that? Distinguished guest, this is Babylon 5. I am Arthur, king of the Britons. Or is he? How did you get here? On the next. <laughs> Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Podcast land. Welcome to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. We are a group of newbies watching Babylon 5 for the very first time and a group of old bees who are watching for way too many times. And we are here today to discuss a late delivery from Avalon. I'm Scott and with me is Justin, Emily, Blake, Kevin, and Mike. We are a few folks short tonight, but I swear they will be back soon. Uh, Nicole and Jesse will be hopefully back next week to join us as we talk about the next episode. But let's go ahead and dive in. Before we get talking about the episode, reminder to please check out all the links down below. We are on social media. You can find your social media of choice down there. Please join us in the conversation, as well as uh, joining us on our Patreon if you want to discuss things with us in our Discord. Right now, our Beyond the Rim Discord is talking about the new movie Babylon 5 The Road Home that the newbies can't watch for another year but I think most of us have watched it and also we will be doing if we haven't already by the time this comes out we will be doing a review of that movie as well too so be looking for that as a bonus episode can I just ask a question real quick yes is the movie just as good as we were hoping depends on what your hopes were uh-oh <laughs> it's a, I enjoyed it Blake has okay. thoughts I have thoughts okay okay fair enough Continue. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't blown away. Because Kevin has no heart. 
<laughs> well, I'll watch it tonight and then I'll weigh in. If you uh, go listen to Huey Lewis's The Power of Love, you've kind of understood the plot of the movie. And that's <laughs> Spoilers. Okay. <laughs> it's not even a goddamn joke. Not a joke. So it's a Babylon 5 version of Back to the Future. Got it. Well, I didn't even think about the time travel piece, but. <laughs> at, least his, at least his mom is barely in it. I'm just kidding. Wah, wah, wah. And a special thank you to our producers who are our highest uh, donors on our Patreon. They are listed down below as well. And finally, if you could leave us a review, that would be extremely helpful. Apple reviews definitely help the show grow. We have another five-star review. This one comes to us all the way from Norway. Lorem86. Watching B5 in the 90s as a kid was a lot of fun. And revisiting as an adult gives insight and perspective I didn't have as a kid. Having seen the whole show, it's both fun and refreshing to hear the newbies. And if and I've never seen it, I suggest watching along per episode. This podcast is one of my favorites and the favorite in this genre. In addition, you also manage to get interviews with the cast, and hopefully JMS will succumb to the non-aligned podcasts in time. Keep it up. Love from Norway PS. During season four, a specific actor will appear playing a character that shared my surname. And I wonder if you can guess who, uh, when that time comes. And we're not going to go anywhere else on that, the reviewer of choice, because uh, we're not there yet. So thanks again for the review. And if you can leave a review, please go to Apple and leave one. You can also leave reviews on Audible, because we are on Audible as well. Uh, But the Apple ones really do help us out a lot. So guys, let's go ahead and dive into the episode. And Kevin, I believe you have a synopsis. An impressive man in medieval armor arrives on the station claiming to be King Arthur. Is he the genuine hero sent by the Vorlons? If not, who is he and what are his secrets? We'll go ahead and go to our newbies first and get their first impressions. And we're a little light on newbies tonight. So Justin, what's your first impressions on a late delivery from Avalon? Uh, I mean, to be honest, it's it's okay. Um, I didn't really know what I was watching for a good part of the episode until the end when things started kind of clicking and making sense and they started kind of explaining things out. So it wasn't terrible. Definitely doesn't even crack my top 10. I did really enjoy seeing Michael York for people who like the movie Logan's Run or Basil on Austin Powers is what I remember him from mostly. Um, So he was I thought he did really well. To me, it was a very strong Jakar episode also. I liked seeing those two actually running around together was actually quite entertaining. Franklin is Franklin doing his uh, kind of questionable things, but then ends up kind of being right in the end. So that was kind of different. I don't hate it to quote one of our favorite phrases. So I'll just leave it there. Speaking of that phrase, Emily, first impressions. I really enjoyed it for reasons I don't quite understand the episodes that actually move the storyline along. I'm just like, yeah, okay, it's fine, whatever. Give me a side quest. And I'm like, woohoo, this is fun. (laughs) So yeah, I actually, I really loved it. And now you can all judge me for it. It's completely fine. I understand. If you don't think they're judging you already, they are. Oh, well, just add more feel to that little judgy fire. (laughs) <laughs> and now we'll go over to our folks who have watched the entire show, which for, I think, the first time ever, we outnumber the newbies. But, Kevin, first impressions on the episode. This is not a favorite of mine. I don't really care much for it. It would be a <clears throat> fairly garbage uh, episode, if not for Michael York's great acting. There's not much notable about this episode as far as, you know, plot, um, other than the, the security uh, stuff with the 
League of Non-Aligned Worlds, which they haven't done much with in quite a while. And I feel like they glossed over that too much. Um, there was too much of the the A plot in this. There was barely a B plot. It was, it was really like a Y and Z plot. But uh, yeah, not a favorite of mine. This is one I would definitely skip if I'm doing a rewatch. Mike? You know, I also didn't hate it, which is actually shocking because I didn't remember a whole lot about it going in. Um, just based on the cover picture, I immediately assumed it was going to be another another Grail because let's face it, they're I don't know they have at least some very surface level similarities. But you know, this episode actually does have a really quirky sort of charm to it uh, with with uh, Mr. York and uh, you know Andreas does a great job as Jakar. The whole thing was really endearing. Um, hell, I even like Marcus in this one, which is surprising for me so i agree with kevin there's it was basically a nonsense a plot and a relatively important b plot that got majorly glossed over but all things considered as as like a one-off like it, it was pretty honestly pretty fun blake so i i don't dislike it as much as kevin but it's by far not one of my favorite episodes i mean if i'm doing a rewatch and i want to skip one this would be it uh I do think it's funny. It has a little bit of a uh, Star Trek two moment in it for me. You know, when uh, Khan looks at Chekhov and goes, you, I never forget a face. And you've got Marcus in this one talking about uh, Sebastian for events he wasn't even on the station for. So, you know, love that little moment of he's just talking like, oh, yeah, you had this thing and I wasn't here for it. So, I mean, overall, for me, it's just kind of a meh episode. I'm not hugely invested in it. Um, I can't say much more. I'll comment beyond the rim that I think the story gets done better, you know, elsewhere. And for me, I'm going to be a weird one to say I actually, the the episode itself is middling for me. I think it's definitely a detraction from the train moving forward in terms of season three. I'm not a fan of Michael York in this at all. Hmm. I think he tries too hard to be a stage thespian rather than a TV actor, which I think is understandable since York comes absolutely from the stage. But I think he is trying way too hard to act, acting. And I think it actually gets better when he transitions to his real character and starts talking about melding his uh, or stitching together his soul and all of that. It gets much better when he comes down to Earth. But when he is acting like Arthur, it is nails on a chalkboard for me. And you can send your hate mail to the email address below. Let's go ahead and dive into the conversation on the episode. Justin, what do you got? Uh, two things to start off with. Um, I will actually, I understand your point, Scott. I will respectfully disagree because I think that that's how they portrayed a lot of those characters, even in film, like those medieval knights and especially anything with like Arthur Knights of the Round Table. They, they all overact those roles. So I think from the mental health standpoint of the character, I think that's naturally how he would gravitate towards doing something like that. But then also, I do have to give Kevin some crap, too, because he wanted more trade negotiations. We got that crap with Phantom Menace, and look how it turned out. I think we got the right amount of trade negotiations with it. Considering that's my favorite of the prequels, that shouldn't surprise anybody whatsoever, even though I know that's a very unpopular opinion. You know what? And you have the right to be wrong. but I sure do. But going back to what I was going to say, I mean, really, it's... Watching a lot of the episode, I was really like, what the hell am I doing here? Until they started kind of cracking into the guy's psyche. And a lot a lot of it actually started to make sense with like why he was shattered from the beginning. Like he 
you know, this is the guy that took the first shot in the Earth Minbari War. Like he's responsible for the most part for the not directly responsible, but he's the guy that fired the shot that killed that killed Dakot or whatever. Like it's they it kind of got heavy towards the end, and so then once they started kind of why he gravitated towards this character and the symbiology behind everything he was doing, it actually made the story just become more about forgiveness and letting go of one's past demons than it was about some crazy guy running around swinging his scimitar at people. I really thought the, again, the the whole thing with Jakar and Michael York were endearing. It was kind of weird seeing just how nuts Jakar just went over this. And he like just jumped in and embraced it from the beginning. He's like, yeah, I want to get into a fight too. And when they're sitting there getting drunk at the bar afterwards, I was actually, that was a scene I was chuckling out loud about just Jakar just getting shit faced and just having the time of his life with all the crap that he's been through over the past, what, season and a half, just to see Jakar actually just kick back and just have some fun and just enjoy himself. It was actually really fun to see, and I thought Andreas was phenomenal in this episode. So when they're drinking and getting shit face, anyone catch what they were drinking? It looked like like uh, it, it looked like a mudslide to mm-hmm. me. But I was gonna say it kind of looked like hot chocolate, and I was confused. Could it have been Rectigino? <laughs> it was absolutely. Yoo-Hoo. It was Yuhu. It was Yuhu. Uh, yeah, because you okay. know Yuhu always gets you. Yeah, in the brain cells all the time. But but think about this though, because there's also multiple takes when they do this. It's that's Yuhu that's been sitting under studio lights for hours. Gross. <laughs> I was gonna say Yuhu always gets you somewhere. <laughs> I, I'm guessing so, that's what Andreas Katsoulis used for his uh drunken state because of his many things facets, he was not a drinker. So he said that it was kind of like infantile acting because he didn't really have much personal experience to bring to that particular i thought he did great with it like it was believable Mm -hmm. i agree maybe it was the uh fermented yuhu that caused him to fall over or pass out and break the table then what i'm saying yeah mike what do you got so you know i I guess the thing about this episode and and you can slap me for referencing another sci-fi show but this episode reminds me a lot of an sg1 episode which is another series i'm a huge fan of and it's it's the probably my favorite episode of that series is window of opportunity um i won't go into the storyline but the the point i'm trying to make i guess is that i I love this episode because it starts off with this very quirky premise that is typically something you would groan at and like i expected going into it that i would groan at it but everything about it everything about this premise of king arthur showing up on the station randomly out of nowhere they they managed to ground it so they don't play it off like uh like an episode of lost in space where it's like oh space clowns that that's just what it is it's like no no somebody immediately points out like it's king arthur of morlons it's possible right they they ground it all and then as the episode progresses it it goes from being quirky and silly and lighthearted to having a real moment at the end of, of absolute heart and i actually think that that's really brilliant and that's part of what makes this episode shine for me is the fact that it it it's quirky and it's silly and it's all these different facets but at the end of the day it is grounded in the universe it does kind of sort of make sense and it does have an an, an emotional um very impactful finale so uh, you know say what you will but i i really 
did genuinely enjoy this one. Justin. Yeah, I will agree with, I mean, with, with Mike, it's definitely a lot deeper of an episode than I was expecting it to be um, early on. And that's actually, I think, kind of what saved it for me. Uh, because had it just maintained kind of a flat story, then I think I wouldn't, you know, it would be told towards the bottom of the episodes for me. But this is kind of hovering right in the middle. Kevin? I don't directly disagree with anything you said, Mike. All, all I want to say is that they spent way too much time in this episode with, with the A-plot to the point where I was pretty bored with the whole thing until it got to the end when they had a nice message about, you know, the, the costs of war and PTSD and... You know, some of the Jakar stuff was was fine, um, but they they really glossed over an important point about where Babylon 5 is now and how they're going to continue that storyline and made this episode almost entirely about the King Arthur stuff. And it just felt like it dragged until they finally got to the end. And that's that's my biggest problem with it. Emily. All right, I'm just going to derail this whole conversation because the reason why I love this episode is you have Marcus, who is Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and then you have King Arthur, Monty Python, Holy Grail. So through the entire episode, my brain's going back and forth between Men in Tights and Holy Grail, and it made the episode fantastic. Like, it, yeah, it wasn't that serious. And while I'm glad they discussed the funding of how B5 can actually stay somewhat together, it would... It was fun. There was finally some fun. It wasn't all just heavy and kind of depressing. And um, yeah, having those images of like Marcus singing were men in tights really does wonders. It just needed some shrubbery. Needed and a shrubbery. We needed some coconuts. The coconuts were yes. missing, which was kind of sad. You but, you know, we can't have it all. It can't be a complete copy, right? I agree with Scott. I think, yeah, I agree with Scott, which is what Scott just said. It's all you want. And, and what's wrong with the idea of Marcus in tights? Man, you know, we don't really know what he looks like because his clothes are kind of bulky. We don't have a real good sense of what's going on there. But, you know, I mean, we can see him in tights. I'm not opposed. He may have massive hips. Speaking of of Marcus in this episode, that's actually one of the things I think I kind of like about this, too, is I actually felt like we saw yet another side of of Marcus where previously, you know, he's a character that I've openly said I, I don't really care for because he's a little bit eccentric and over the top and in this episode you actually see like you know him coming across like like a nurse almost you know Mm -hmm. with a with a very careful very deliberate measured rational bedside manner it really shows a different side to his character that i liked it made him more real to me and it kind of builds from what we've seen i mean he's always been down below keeping an eye on everybody and he's you know he he cares about these folks it it does and and even you know, maybe I'm colored a little bit by the fact that I've recently watched, uh, you know, ceremonies, but uh-huh. that's another episode where you get a really, you get the deep, tragic uh, side of Marcus again. But but you're right. You, you have seen the same kind of caretaker vibe from him before, and, and it, I think it plays well to his character. Blake. On the flip side of that, I think you see a little bit more Franklin again, like we've seen earlier in the series with that. Yep. I know what's right, God complex, that just absolutely blows up in his face. Um, And he even says the line in this one of, you would think by now I would learn. He acknowledges it too. You know, he he had the best of intentions with how he thought to help this guy. But, I mean, it just absolutely went the wrong way about it. Justin, or did it go wrong? I was just going to say that. That's the question. Did it go wrong? 
Because, yes, I was thinking there watching the episode, I was thinking, Jesus, Franklin, here we go again, you know, and I thought the confrontation scene where he was trying to, you know, show him his past and talk him through what happened, not only at that initial Mimbari encounter, but at the Battle of the Line and everything that he went through. And and you can see that he's not accepting it at first, but then when he goes just goes cat- catatonic and Franklin's like, oh, my God, OK, I fucked up. And then all of a sudden he realizes, no. The whole thing was trying to get forgiveness from the Mimbari. And so that's why, because as soon when like Delenn walked in, I'm like, well, where has she been the whole time? And then when then it finally clicked in me, oh my God, she's the lady of the lake. It's all about him seeking forgiveness from the Mimbari and forgiving himself. And that was giving up Excalibur, giving up his burden and finally being able to heal from his wounds. So it was, that's when it all started kind of, kind of to click to me. And that's when going back and everything that he talked about from Arthenian legend, like the final battle against Mordred and everything else, it just started finally clicking because at one point I did buy into the Borlon theory and I was like, okay, well that actually makes sense. But then this actually ended up making much more of a human story. And that's kind of, again, why I kind of like it. It's fun. And I think that's why I think it was Franklin went out of his way to say that he's speaking contemporary English. So it's yeah. not Arthur. Mm-hmm. Which was a clever touch. Yeah. 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 Emily. Um, I think Franklin, in my respects, is trying to be practical. Because when this guy arrives on the station, you know, he comes in with a sword. He's claiming to be King Arthur. And the immediate response is, like, aggressive. Their PPGs drawn. Like, what the hell is going on with this guy? Like, he was immediately perceived as a threat. So I can understand why Franklin would want to try to help him come around in some way because no one else was going to be understanding. Like what would have happened if Marcus hadn't been there and intervened? You know, the situation could have escalated and gotten really bad. And since uh, Justin brought up the Vorlon, I'm still not convinced Kosh wasn't involved because at the very end, you see Kosh just gliding in after he <laughs> the guy gets on the transport. And I'm like, so that's where you've been? Mm-hmm. That's where you'll see Justin's O face on the reaction video. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. I audibly yelled. I threw a fit when he showed up. I'm like, yeah, finally, like, welcome back. Welcome back, Kosh. You know, like, shit, a lot of shit's happened since you've been gone. One of his caster wheels on his uh, little thing he rolls on was broken for several episodes and they had to fix it. So now he's back. Yeah, uh, it. <laughs> Yeah, he just like rolled on by. I was like, I see you there, Kosh, showing up when the guy leaves. I, I, I do want to still know who uh, Morgan Le Fay is, though. I, I do get Kosh as Merlin. I like that a lot. Questioning Morgan Le Fay. Ivanova? Well, no. I mean, he said no. he gave Ivanova. Morgan is uh, a villain. Well, somewhat of a villain. Ish. Yeah. Ish. Kevin, what do you got? So I, I read where... JMS really wanted to have some fun with some of the sci-fi internet fans on this episode because he chuckles at the dynamic of sci-fi fans wanting something completely different. And then when they start watching it, they start a they they try to fit the show's dynamic into a particular template that they've seen before. So he like the last he, Jedi. Yeah, sure. You mean the best Star Wars film? <clears throat> oh God, you guys just love hurting me. Um, well, it's, you have no taste, Kevin. It's fine. Uh, yeah, no, um, I disagree entirely. But okay, sure. So anyway, I, I think it's interesting that JMS 
from Usenets and other interactions with fans just decided, okay, I'm just going to have some fun with you guys trying to fit this show into a box after you start watching it, which is interesting to me. I know you guys have already talked about him, but I really, I, I said this episode was kind of middle ground for me and a Michael York really didn't do anything for me. One who did was Andreas Katsoulis, and I think he absolutely brings this episode up for me. They made a delightful thump. I love, <laughs> I love Jakar in this. And we get to see the Jakar fighting stance again, the, the mantis, the... <laughs> And uh, it's just it's nice to see Jakar being able to do so much since he's kind of come out of his prison state. And Arthur pointed out he's a warrior with a priestly look on him. And I think that says a lot about Jakar. Emily, what do you got? Well, since you brought up Jakar, um, I really did like this episode for him because I feel like he needed it. He needed a fight that was clear. He needed like a good and a bad side. And um, I thought what they were fighting for was actually quite sweet. I tend to not be like super into very sentimental stuff when it comes to TV, but I thought trying to give the woman back the photo of her husband was, it was simple, but it was sweet. And I don't know if anyone else looked at the photo, but that totally looked like a 1970s couch. You're like the, not, I don't think they were velvet, but velour with the texture and the pattern. Uh, So was that someone's like actual grandparent? Oh, that's usually what happens in TV shows like that. When you have a photo you have to show, you usually get somebody from the cast. Or... I was going to say, they probably yeah. they bought it in the same store where they get all of Sheridan's casual clothes. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, way, like, that, has... like that picture that comes in the frame when you buy it at Target? Yes. Yeah. Somebody actually asked on the, uh, the internet back in the day, was that actually Excalibur? And <laughs> JMS being his normal crotchety self said, well, that wasn't the real Arthur, so I'm going to guess it wasn't the real Excalibur. <laughs> wow. Actually, I like the sword. It, it, yeah, I, man. I, I thought the sword was a nice piece of hardware. He, uh, was. He, was was asked about, he was asked about where they got the prop, and he said he didn't remember, but he was probably came out of a catalog you would shop for when you're going to Rim Fairs. Well, in his same, I think it was that same crotchety interview, they also asked him, what did Delin do with the sword? And his response was returned it to the prop department. <laughs> you know, that's that's another, I think, important part of this episode. We've talked a little bit about the fact that he was the first shot, but having a Mimbari take that weight off his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And also it's Delenn again. Remember, the whole reason why Delenn changed herself was she wanted to be a bridge to hum- from humans to Mimbari. And we actually... We learn about the ranger pen more and how it is the two species coming together. And we see that Delenn is the only one who can lift this burden off this human. So I like that Delenn is getting something to do with her decisions that she made two years ago. Yeah, and that's like, what, two parts of the same soul like Car- like, like Marcus yeah. was talking about. So it definitely goes back. Yeah, and, and it definitely goes back to where humans are also like lost Mimbari souls. So it's... I thought that part was cool, definitely. What else do we want to talk about? I know this is going to be a short episode, but it's a it's not a, it's not an episode that has a lot to talk about. I don't think. Uh, Garibaldi. Ah, the male guy. Ah, uh, yes. And Garibaldi versus Super Mario. Every. I said the same thing, Mike. I said the same <laughs> thing. It was like, yeah, it was Mario. They I'm not gonna deliver the mail. <laughs> I want to know what he was gonna cook with that. Like, was he gonna make a calzone, a pizza? What was he gonna make? Because it's not—I mean, minus the anchovies, but it's not pretty good. Well, he loves his anchovies. I mean, I know that's just the So is Blake. 
I love anchovies too. Yeah, there's many good uses for anchovies. And he did straight up commit a crime at the end of the episode. Well, I mean, several crimes actually. <laughs> I say yeah, several. When you, yeah. when you mean, break into the post office, yeah. And then also, uh, you know, basically just extorting the guy. Mm-hmm. Right. I was gonna say he also took a friend with him, and in Georgia, that'll get you a RICO charge now. <laughs> you can send your comments too. <laughs> We can't be an episode unless we're talking about stuff we're not supposed to talk about, Blake. Well, someone has to. <laughs> what else, guys? Anything else you want to talk about before we get into questions, predictions? It's interesting to me that Michael Vehar was the director on this episode because I know it was not difficult to to shoot, but it's not a you know not a hard hitter episode. But it was it was cool how they. You know, because I, I was reading some of the production notes, and they made a dimi- diminishing scale set for mm-hmm. for the for the corridor, and used a ramp camera, and then you know they messed with the frame rates to make it you know look real jerky, and it wasn't in you know in black and white, of course. It was an interesting you know perspective on doing a like a dreamy type sequence. Yeah, to the Vehar point, I actually think it's right up Vehar's alley, especially the dream sequences, and especially the set, uh, maybe the third dream sequence where it's actually flashing between real life and the dream and mm. real life and the dream. It's very visceral, and it's very Vehar in that. That's something that he's very good at. What? Maybe I had just checked out by then. And, you know, honestly, maybe I should look at it again a little bit, but I, I, I don't think I'm going to love this episode no matter how much I watch it. Just, I mean, cinematically, it's a great episode. Like that's, mm-hmm. I can't, I, I can't say anything about like the the cinematography of it because it was just shot really well, just in general. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, they they had a, a quote from Richard Biggs talking about how you know Babylon Five set was a classroom. Sometimes they'd have these guest stars come in and out that you could really learn a lot from as an actor who are more experienced actors. And you know, I. I I respect your opinion, uh, Scott, about about Michael York in this episode, but I, I don't I don't share it. He's he definitely has a a great skill set that Richard Biggs really uh, I, I guess uh, benefited from. I'm sure others too. So you'll respect my comments on overacting, but not on the Last Jedi. You will not respect those comments. Not at all. No, <laughs> that movie is garbage. Oh, it is the best. And it's the only Kevin, we spent too many hours arguing yeah. over that. I'm not oh. in the mood right now. <laughs> it's such a good movie, and they've so squandered the, the idea. I mean, but if well, you really want to be excited about you can only be a hero if you have a bloodline, I mean, go for it. That's that's your prerogative. <laughs> you 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 massively oversimplify my view, but sure. <laughs> that's my job. Mike, what you have? <laughs> I was going to say, well, fuck it. I'll weigh in and say, I also thought Michael York was really good in this episode. <laughs> there you go, Mike. And Thank you. The, uh, and and, and I, I share your opinion about Window of Opportunity. I love that episode of you, SG-1. It's, it's 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 the Scrubs formula, right? Where it's like, oh, funny, zany, quirky, funny. And then it punches you right in the heart nuts at the end of the yeah. episode. Yeah, most of the episode, they're like, fuck it. We can do whatever we want. Yep. It'll be fun. And, and, then, and yeah. then it's just devastating. Right. Justin. Last thing I have to say is that exchange right now between Mike and Kevin was that the Step Brothers thing? Did we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna move on to the SG One podcast. Absolutely, uh, it's gonna take you seventeen tune in. years to get oh through the episode. It will to uh, chop an iPod. <laughs> When you get to universe, the only one I've actually watched, I'll, I'll join in. And that's the worst one. So oh, that's the one. Well, okay. Well, maybe we're not going to do this podcast. <laughs> 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 All 
Didn't like Fine. Atlantis, huh? Okay. When he's when he's uh, putting everyone into I'd the like sleep. all of them. Yeah, me too. When he's putting everyone into the uh the sleeping apparatus and he's just like, oh god, it's just me. I have to do some math. I'm like, yep. And I am still fucking mad that that series got canceled and agreed. Yeah, me too, but it, it, it definitely wasn't as good as the other two. Was that the one with Tim Roth or whatever? Yes. Yeah. That wasn't Tim Roth. And, and Lou Diamond Phillips for about five seconds. Yeah, it looks like yeah. Tim Roth, but yeah. Is it not Tim Roth? I okay. don't think it is. No, it's not Tim Roth. Oh, no, it's the guy. Anyway, was, uh, it was a good show. It was the guy different. Who was Rumble it was very, on the, uh, It was a very different show, but it was really yes. good. Yes. Definitely. As we've learned, some folks well, don't like and, it. and we'll bring it. We'll bring it around then back to relevancy. I, I mean, I I definitely hear what you guys are saying as far as a negative for this episode. This episode, late delivery. Late delivery. Thank you. Uh, in that, <laughs> it, it does. It was placed here. I think we talked about this, or we're going yes. to talk about it. It was placed here in the episode order deliberately mm-hmm. to to ease the tension in the season because things had been going so seriously and so hard, but. At the same time, you know, this almost harkens back to me to like an earlier version of television, you know, where serialization was relatively new, where I think, you know, Straczynski or whoever thought they needed to do that. Flash forward, we have Stargate Universe or we have Battlestar Galactica's reboot where things are fucking dark and serious from start to finish and it never takes its foot off the gas ever, mm-hmm. you know, on purpose anyway. Well, and- I think, oh, sorry. And, and so I think now, you know, we look back at this and we're like, well, you know, this episode, I probably would have liked it a lot better had it happened, you know, earlier in the season or something like that, or that it feels off being shoved into the middle where it is. I think that does color everyone's view. But this is one of the reasons, though, I, I like and it sucks for actors and crew who don't get paid as much, which is why they're striking. But I'm happy we've gotten to the uh, we're just going to do the number of episodes that we need to tell the story. You know, when we had 22, 26 episodes, you got filler episodes because they had to fill the time. And now if we ever do get a Babylon 5 reboot and after watching The Road Home, oh, my goodness, no comment. Um, Blake's nodding. The I think a 10 episode season Babylon 5 would be freaking amazing. Mike, to your point, too, you're right. Uh, we talked about this last week, too. They did move these two episodes around. The one reason is it's it's it is kind of a interlude before we get into the more heavy stuff again. I mean, next week's episode is called Ship of Tears, so it's not going to be a, you know, a comedy episode. But also they wanted to make sure that Michael York was on during Sweeps Week. And so uh, so. They made sure that this episode dropped when they could use him in the commercials more. Speaking of Michael York, man, what I what I wouldn't give to like talk to that guy and and get his impression of like, hey, you read this script and you agreed to do this. Why? <laughs> How long with that? Remember, this whole thing is filmed in an old hot tub factory. So you are a thespian, star of screen and stage, and you're driving out to a hot tub factory to film a TV show. <laughs> Well, I know Jason Carter was kind of starstruck. He he talked about that. He was like growing up, you know, saw a lot of Michael York stuff. And so he was uh, really happy to have a chance to act with him. I would imagine being a fellow Brit. Mm-hmm. Is Michael York still alive? Yes. Well, then as soon as the strike's over, hop on that shit. Let's talk to him. <laughs> I'll add that to the list. <laughs> Dear I mean, Michael York. Can you tell us about a week you definitely don't remember in your life? <laughs> I mean, I will say, looking through his credits, there's there's probably a lot of them. Because, I mean, the yeah. man was on Sequest at one time. Yeah. yeah. That but, guy's uh, got to pay for the mortgage. Let's that wasn't it. the strongest episode either. As I, I was going to say, I just, you know, I, I guess I'm not sure because I, I was 
actually young at one point in my life and <laughs> i don't know where he was at in his career when this episode came about and when this opportunity was put across his desk or his agent's desk but like yeah i don't know i mean as much as i do like the episode i just look at somebody who has like actual you know thespian credentials and i'm like hide this was well, it fun yeah, I mean, maybe that's it, right? Maybe, maybe he's just one of those guys. That's like, fuck it, I take the roles I want to take. Well, and maybe he likes stage maybe. work either. So if he, you know, if he didn't have much going on, yeah, yeah. maybe he liked the show. I think it's George Clooney who said once that uh, sometimes you just got to pay the mortgage payment. Yeah, <laughs> yep. like Clooney's had to worry about that in a while. <laughs> True. True. Hey, uh, he's Bruce got. Willis. He's got. Bruce Willis, yeah, same idea. Although I got I got to give a shout out to him to Clooney though because he's donated a lot of money to the Actors Guild for mm-hmm. for the strike. So you really got to hand it to him. Hey, the WGA went back to the bargaining table for the first time in over a hundred days today. We'll see how that goes. Do we need to talk about Batman and Robin? Clooney's had some fucking stinkers. <laughs> hey, oh, dear God, Michael, because the DCU is. Because the DCU is so screwed up now, uh, he's the new Batman. Come on, guys. That's the best movie of the four. I'm kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. Kevin is now going to be removed from the great <laughs> podcast. We would like to uh, thank him for his service, but it's no longer. <laughs> the nice thing is that if we have to replace an old B, it's a lot easier to replace a new B. We can just bring somebody else on. Ryan, look us up. <laughs> <laughs> but God, this podcast is turning into Survivor. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note... We'll be the last one standing. On that note, let's go ahead and dive into questions and predictions. And we only have two newbies, so this is going to be fun. Uh, Let's go ahead and go to Emily first. Questions and predictions. I actually have questions, because why wouldn't I have questions about an irrelevant episode? So how was Kosh actually involved? Because he was involved. We saw him sliding by at the end. I know he was involved because I don't trust him. Um, Where did he actually get the sword? Like, who made the sword? Was it a human sword? Was it Mimbari? Where did it come from? I need to know this. I'm assuming it wasn't just some watery tart distributing swords randomly. I see what you did there. Um, I really want to know what Garibaldi was planning to cook. For whatever reason, I am fascinated by the food he had that he broke into the post office to get. Um... And where were they sending him? Was he actually going to the Narn homeworld or like a different colony? Because it sounded like they were sending him to the Narn homeworld, but I wasn't sure if that's where he was going or... I think that's the assumption because he's. they said he's going to be working with the Resistance and the Resistance would be there for the most part. Yeah, well, I didn't know if there was a separate colony trying to mount an outside Resistance yeah. as well. So those um, are my I, always, I always assumed he was going back to Narn. That was my assumption. That's uh, kind of what I assumed, but I didn't know if I missed a little bit somewhere. I, I totally distracted. don't think it makes sense. But Men in tights and Holy Grail. You know, that's what was going through my brain the entire episode. Do you have any predictions? Mm, no, okay. just questions. <laughs> I just have questions. <laughs> so many questions about an irrelevant episode. <laughs> Justin, what do you got? Questions, predictions? I mean, Emily covered one of mine. I was asking about where the hell did he get his gear? Because I don't think, unless there are Ren Fairs in the in 2260, I was kind of curious where he got all the medieval garb and the sword from. That was really my only question, to be honest with you. Other than, I'm kind of very curious to find out what his role is going to be with the Narn Resistance, because I think that's kind of, could end up being a very interesting timeline if we ever do get to see that character again. And not really predictions, just observations. 
Thank God Kosh is back. I'm glad to have my homeboy back in the picture. He's been gone way too damn long. I want to know where the hell he's been and what he's been up to. And then I wish I could actually, if I could hang out with anybody right now, I would want to hang out with Drunk Jakar for an evening. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. He'll make a delightful thump. He reminded me of Chris Farley when he just did the table, like fell flat onto the table. We already talked about Andreas's acting, Kevin, I know you brought it up, is I just, if you watch his mouth movements when he's talking while drunk, he's just got like that enunciating way too much kind of thing going. I love it. Especially with all that makeup on, he is hamming it up like no other. Yeah, oh, yeah. he said that he was really focused on slurring as part of his portrayal there. Well, that will end it for this week's episode. Next week, we will join the uh, Ship of Tears. And remember to check out all of our social medias. If you can, join our Patreon so you can join the Discord, where I'm sure we will talk greatly about where this sword came from, because why not? And uh, yeah, so, and also, leave a review for us as well, too, please. We're actually out of reviews to read, so if you want a review read next week, gonna have to turn one in. And I still know that only about half of you are clicking that subscribe button, so clicky, clicky. Until next week, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Justin. Emily. Blake. Kevin. And Mike. And now we'll throw our two newbies out the airlock and try to answer some of these questions, I think. It'll be a short, short night for you guys, too. Yay! Yeah. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. We have jettisoned our newbies out the airlock, and we're here to answer all of their questions, or at least some of them. But remember, there will be spoilers ahead. So if you have not watched past a late delivery from Avalon, or if you just don't remember what happens next, this is probably not the section for you. A couple of things I wanted to talk about, guys, before we got into their questions is I do like the reference, and maybe I'm reading into it too much, but when Marcus talks about how Merlin, a.k.a. Kosh, was able to know the future because he's aging backwards. I absolutely think that's a reference to War Without End, which is only a few episodes away. And the fact that Kosh legitimately does know what the future holds up until a certain point. So it was kind of hard in the discussion of this one. I couldn't add in what I wanted to with it. Because this one gives us that little glimpse, right, into the first contact with Mimbari, the whole ship's approach with the gun ports open, and bad shit happens. And my, I think this issue, or this episode works better when you've seen in the beginning, because that gives you more background into uh, humanity at the stage that it con- with contact with Mimbari, the the arrogance that it wasn't. You know, this yeah, you could sit there and this episode says it's a misunderstanding, but you get more into the 
the arrogance and the thinking that went into it and the person that they sent to command that mission to make contact with the Mimbari. And then you get into the stakes and the desperation of the Battle of the Line. I mean, we've heard the numbers in the series. We've heard it talked about, but in the beginning really gets into I mean, it was a last stand of desperation. Yeah. I so think I think this episode works more with that. It does. And it especially gives you more context and more weight when, when in, you know, in relation to Delenn. Yes. Because when Delenn was so personally affected by the events of in the beginning and the beginning of the war and Ducat dying in her arms, which you don't know yet if you no. haven't seen in the beginning. No mercy. No mercy. Her accepting this guy's his remorse over the whole situation is a lot more impactful when you know that mm-hmm. storyline. Well, and that raises a question, too. I mean, if Delenn was his absolution, who was Delenn's? I think this guy. I think it's both. Yeah. yeah. And we I mean, won't she, know that until Atonement and in the beginning. But yeah. She really had a, a great acting scene in this episode even though it's her own her only scene in the episode i thought it was really good the way that she portrayed it because it is like i said especially if you've seen in the beginning it really had some weight to it and she does so much in a in a small scene there not a word is spoken let's go ahead and get into the questions now uh how is kosh actually involved he's not he got off the elevator yep (laughs) He just happened to show up because the rolling pins work. Yeah. I mean, there's I, I love that Emily always looking for those red threads to connect things together. But at this point, no, there's no connection there. And I had to laugh at Justin, too. Like, <laughs> thank God Kosh is back. Like, that is that is the level that I'm hoping to achieve with my job someday where I could just, like, <laughs> stroll through the cafeteria on my way to get a churro. And everybody's like, oh, thank God Mike's back. And I didn't do a goddamn thing. Well, and the best part about that is he's so excited about Kosh being back. Kosh will die in two episodes. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. <laughs> Devastation. <laughs> okay. And then the next one is, where did he get the sword? Amazon. <laughs> the prop department. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You can't buy a sword in the 23rd it is, century. It is a... That's a big question if you really want to think about it. It's like, at what point did this guy have his mental break? Yeah. And and how did he go about justifying you know, <laughs> op- opening the catalog or going to the pawn shop to buy some chain mail and a sword? And here's well, the question. Who led him on that ship with it? Right. Exactly. That's mine. I mean, he walks through security at B5 and pops every damn scanner they have because he's carrying a sword. And chain mail. And chainmail, but he got off the damn ship with it. And I sincerely doubt it. What was it? The Asimov was that the ship he yes, was on? It was the yeah. I sincerely doubt in the gift shop of the Am- of the Asimov that they've got swords and chainmail. <laughs> Look, well, like I just went through airport security not that long ago, and I yeah. guarantee you, TSA would not let you get through. <laughs> this is why you need pre-check, Mike. They let it right. get through. No shit. Okay, and then along the same lines, what was Garibaldi going to cook? Gives a shit. hey emily gives a shit a straight up ninja turtle style pizza that's what he was gonna cook (laughs) yeah the extra long pepperoni just he's gonna enjoy anchovies and fresh mozzarella where were they sending michael york Uh, i answered that back to the proper theater yeah (laughs) (laughs) And, and what will his role be with the narn resistance 
We don't know. I don't know because it didn't make any sense anyway. Not like we're ever going to see the character the again. Guy that, so. The guy that used to load a gun and maybe pull a trigger is now an instrumental re- resistance asset. Well, I think <laughs> Jakar. Front. I, I I read into that more. I think for what I think the guy. I think Jakar's patting him on the head. He's trying to give him a mission, even That's though he nice. knows it's not really an important mission. But I th- this is going along with Jakar's character. Is he's starting to really? I mean, he's always cared about his people, but now he's starting to care about people and i think this guy has kind of allowed him to see that you can care about the little guy uh more so than what he's done in the past so i think he's just hoping that maybe that will rub off on other people i don't know yeah i mean i get it he the guy had a, a noble heart or whatever and so wanted wanted a new purpose in life and takar gave him one the end let's be honest we're, i'm pretty sure probably a centauri like two weeks from now is going to blast the guy uh, that that's what i said i mean did where was he being sent yeah, to his death yeah i mean if we, <laughs> he's the only human on narn <laughs> we've heard nothing but bad things about narn right now so i'm sure it's going to be a wonderful trip gonna be cold by veer's fiance's dad <laughs> or, that's that's it there's the headcanon lindesty kills arthur she is morgan lefane nice <laughs> well now that we have that settled Anything else you guys want to talk about with a late delivery from Avalon? No, thank you. (laughs) I liked it, but no. Yeah. Well, next week we'll be talking about a little bit more of an important episode. Unless you're Emily, she's going to hate it because it's actually an important episode. And that is Ship of Tears. And we get Bester back again. So until uh, next week when we discuss that, I've been Scott and with me has been... Blake. Kevin. Mike. This is going to be like a 45-minute episode. Yay! Happy birthday, Scott. Wouldn't it be much worse if life were fair and all the terrible things that happen to us come because we actually deserve them? So now I take great comfort in the general hostility and unfairness of the universe. <laughs>